You are listening to a message from Victory Alabang. Get the latest updates by visiting victoryalabang.org or like us on facebook.com slash victoryalabang. We are actually in our fifth uh, week of our preaching series entitled uh, All and Nothing. Everybody say All and Nothing. And uh, as we understand who Jesus is and all that He has done for us, we will realize there is nothing more that we need. In fact, we're always saying this uh, term, Christ above all, nothing more and nothing less. Just to give us a quick recap, we know that this whole series really talks about the preeminence of Jesus. And somehow, if you look at the book of Colossians, Colossians is probably the most Christ-centered book in the whole of the Bible. Uh, Though the Bible is Christ-centered, we know that. But somehow, the book of Colossians has some of the most dense description and attributes of who Jesus Christ is, in who He is as our Lord and Savior, our Creator, the head of the church, and so on and so forth. That we've made this statement, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We know that if you have the Lord, you have everything. Amen. And if even if you feel that you have everything minus Jesus, that equals nothing. Everything minus Jesus really is nothing. That's why our very name as Christians, if you remove Christ from the word Christian, it leaves you with I-A-N, and that means I am nothing. Really, the essence of why we live this Christian walk is to glorify the Lord Jesus and to honor His name. And so today we're going to be looking at week 5, and this is now living in Christ. You know, today's lesson we will emphasize, uh, you know, in the past few weeks we've heard about what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, who He is in our lives, His preeminence, that He is the image of the invisible God, that He is the creator of everything that we have, both visible and invisible, in heaven and on earth, rulers, kingdoms, dominions, and authorities were created for Him and by Him. We know that. That Jesus is the one who, who did uh, this wonderful thing of going to the cross and purchasing our salvation for us. And how many of you are grateful that you and I are saved because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross? The question for us now is, what's next? You know, what does this mean for me now as a Christian, knowing that Christ has given us everything that we need for life and godliness? We've learned that Jesus Christ did everything for us. We're going to look at how we should live for Christ. So this is kind of like the demarcation line. The first four weeks talked about, you know, principles. Now we're going to talk about practice. The first four weeks talked about the credo or the creed, what Jesus Christ did for us. Now we're going to look at uh, the conduct on how we are to live our Christian life. We talked about doctrines in the first four weeks. Now we're going to look at deeds, how we are to do things and how to live out this thing called Christianity. We examined our beliefs in the past four weeks, and now we're going to be looking at behavior. And I believe that you will agree with me that belief normally drives and impact the way we live and our behavior as well. And so we will dare not say that now that we have Christ, that we are going to do things on our own effort. We're not saying that. Because we are only enabled because of what Jesus Christ did for us. Amen. As Christ worked in us, we can actually work out our salvation. Without the working of Christ in us, we can never work out. Everybody say work in. Work, in. work, out. work out. 
If Christ works in, so we can work out. If Christ did not work in, we will actually work for. Did you get that? Did you able to got it? Just kidding. For those of you are English majors. Now let's uh, talk about our text this morning, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 to 17. Once again, I'd like to invite everyone to stand. We will find out how to conduct our lives pleasing and honoring to the Lord. This is rather an, a, a lengthy text, a, a lengthy verse. And uh, actually, we can actually fit about three sermons from this, but we're just going to do one sermon for uh, this, this series. Verse 5, Colossians chapter 3, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you two once walked when you were living in them. But now, everybody say, but now. You must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Putting on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of of our Creator God. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, Forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called to one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this opportunity this morning to learn from Your Word. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge Your presence in our lives Thank you that you are our teacher and our guide. Open up our hearts to receive from what you want to speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You probably noticed that that's a very long verse, but it somehow describes the way we ought to live towards God and towards one another. So if you want to just have a very quick outline of where we're heading this morning, basically it talks about how we ought to live our lives for Christ and we are going to look at these three things, okay? Put off. Everybody say put off. We're also going to look at put on. Everybody say put on. And then we're going to look at put in. Okay? So put off, put on, and put in. Okay? You got to pronounce it properly, okay? Put in, okay? Now, how do we live, you know, for Christ? How do we do that? 
you know, it's, uh, it's one thing to know the position that we have in the Lord, knowing that we are forgiven, knowing that we are death-free, knowing that we are victorious, knowing that we have everything we need in Christ. But how do we prove that? Can people actually see that in our lives? You know, like for example, when, when we sent the, the Mongolian team, and I'm just so blessed about that story of Pastor Saul, that we not only just sent them out to sing songs there. You know, they're a worship team. They could have sung songs every single day. But actually what they did was they demonstrated Christianity in the Mongolian church, and in the Mongolians in Ulaanbaatar. Okay? And, you know, they saw Christians walking out what they believe and how it is to live out their lives in Jesus Christ. Amen. They've shown preaching. There was power also attached to the preaching of the word. There was worship and so on and so forth. But what about us? Those of us who are not necessarily going to missions, for example, you're not joining 10 days, but tomorrow you're excited to go to your work. How many of you are excited to go to your work? Come on now. You're looking forward to go to work. You're looking forward to see your boss. You're looking forward to be able to, you know, to, uh, to meet those quotas. For those of you going to school, you're, you're looking forward to studying and, and going through those exams. Come on now. <laughs> By faith. And there are things that we need to let go as we put things that are supposed to be part of the character of Jesus Christ in our lives. For example, look at this cute little baby. For those of you who are parents, you probably remember that the time when you were still changing diapers. You know, I remember that time, but I don't really miss it that much, okay? <laughs> but remember that time when you, know, you and your baby would actually, you know, do number one or number two, poo or pee? Okay? <laughs> and you know that the diaper that he or she is using is soiled, right? But will you do this in order for you to clean your baby? Will you just put a new diaper on top of the old diaper? How many of you will do that? Para madali ang buhay. You know, so it's, you know, it's easy, it's quick. Just put on a new diaper to cover up the old soiled one. No, we don't do that. Because I think the logical thing, first step is take off the soiled diapers, clean it up first, and then put on the new diaper. Sad to say, some Christians look like and smell like they still have the old diapers. You know, they, instead of them living a life that is honoring and pleasing to the Lord and reflecting the character of Christ, it's like the walking dead. It's like still living out their old life and their old manners and their old conduct. And somehow you get confused. Is this guy a Christian or not? He's saying, praise the Lord, but I don't see him in his life. He's saying, hallelujah. He's raising up his hands in church. But when he gets out of the church, he treats his wife bad. He treats everybody bad. He's not a good businessman. He does under the table thing and so on and so forth. Our life should be consistent whether we're in church and outside church. Amen. When you talk about integrity, integrity comes from the root word integer, which means one. You are who you are, wherever you are. Amen. And there shouldn't be any confusion about that. That when you say that you are, you know, when you make a promise, your children would actually be able to vouch that, yes, my dad and my mom, they are men of the, and women of their word. Because they are so consistent by the way they live. 
to claim that we are new creations in Christ yet to continue to live in our old self is like putting new clothes over the old one. How many of you took a bath this morning? Don't even raise your hand anymore, okay? Some of you need to do that. Anyway, sorry. sorry. But we take bath, you know, it's, it's normal for us to take a bath because of the climate that we have here in the Philippines. You know, if you, I guess if you go abroad where in there's winter and maybe in Mongolia where the weather is unpredictable and it's always cold, maybe you take a bath, I don't know, every once a week. What did you do? Uh, every day, okay. Mamin ka. Okay. <laughs> did you do wisik wisik? Okay. <laughs> but normally we, we do that. It's like part of hygiene. And once you take a bath, of course you change your clothes. And that's exactly the simple illustration of how it is to put off the old and to put on the new. Now, why do we need to do this? I thought that we already had victory in Christ over sin, why is it that we are still struggling with this thing every single day? And how many of you are kind of like me? You're still struggling with temptations. Can you please raise your hand. How many of you are normal people? Okay. And, uh, you know, you still have the flesh in you. How many of you still have a body in you? As long as there's this body of flesh with us, how many of you know that there is always a tendency for us to swerve back to our old ways? That's why, you know, this is uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in us. The Spirit is willing, the Bible says, but the flesh is weak. We somehow tend to swerve sometimes to the direction of destruction instead of being in tune and aligned with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So the first point really is to put off. Put off. What do we need to put off? First thing that the Apostle Paul said was put to death. In fact, he was so uh, direct in this. Don't just put it off. Kill it. Put to death. You know, how many of you have a phone? Hello? <laughs> That's all of us, right? I think about 99, if not 100% of us. Every time you go to and ride the plane, they just remind us to turn on to airline mode. What does that mean? It's, it's like putting it on to sleep. It's sleep mode. What the Apostle Paul is saying is not to put it to sleep. Don't put to sleep, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put to death. In other words, kill it. Mortify it. In the Greek word, it's uh, nekru. This is where we get the word necrological. Service. Death. Put to death. To mortify. To kill what is of the flesh. And it's interesting, I want to go back to this particular scripture, that this first group of sins that the Apostle Paul identified are basically sexual sins. You would see that in this particular grouping of uh, scripture, there are two major groups, sexual sins and spoken sins. Sins of speech is the second group in the following verses. But sexual immorality, impurity, passion, Evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. We don't really have the time to go through each of these. But we know that when you talk about sexual immorality, it includes so many things. Fornication, it includes uh, adultery, it includes pornography, it includes homosexuality, it includes incest, and many others. We don't have to be in detail. You know, there might be some kids here. Okay? 
Impurity means uncleanness and perversion, abnormality. And the Apostle Paul is saying, that's not who you are anymore. These things really are a part of your old self. That's why you've got to put to death. You, you need to put to death these things. In verse 6, it says, On the account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And that's why we see sicknesses going out. And this is not new. We see this even in the first century uh, time when the Apostle Paul was addressing this, even among the believers in the church. He wrote this in the book of Romans. Okay, Romans, not romance. Okay, Romans. And he talked about, you know, uh, that the wrath of God is being revealed to mankind because he was very specific. Because men exchange their evil desire instead of for women to, another, to other men and so on and so forth. And it was very specific at that time that he was addressing this to sexual sins. This is not, we're not talking about sexual orientation here. We're talking about the act, the sexual act. That's, that's, those are two different things. Sexual orientation or even same-sex attraction is different as well with homosexuality. We're talking about the act itself. The reason why Sodom and Gomorrah was judged by God is because of these things. You know, you know, fire and brimstone came down from heaven to consume those cities and so on and so forth. So let's move on forward. Uh, that's why when you talk about the word morti mortify, everybody say mortify, it means to kill. We're not supposed to declare truce. There's no uh, ceasefire with our thoughts or our actions. We've got to kill it. We've got to put it to death and not put it to sleep. We always drift towards our fallen nature. That's really the tendency of the flesh. Nobody accidentally becomes godly. It's a work of the Holy Spirit in us. But yet, there's always a tendency for us to move towards the flesh. If you notice that. If you put down your guard, you will notice that. It's easy to be tempted. But our right standing has nothing to do with us, but the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. The second group of sins that the Apostle Paul is talking about is, In these you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must, what? Put them all away. So you see the same things that the Apostle Paul is saying. Put to death, put them all away, put it off. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth, do not lie. And these are all like spoken words, spoken sins that we need to get rid of. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, it says, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. In other words, when you're dealing with these things, you've got to be aggressive in killing sin or else sin will kill you. That's how it is. It's worse than sickness. It's worse than cancer because sin brings people to hell. Amen. But Jesus Christ intervened and He gave us the way out of sin. You can't fight a battle passively. Don't just don't stop, but you've got to continue to be aggressive until you find sin dead. A wife once asked, you know, as she was being frustrated cleaning the house, you know, I just cleaned this house two weeks ago. How come there's more dirt here? And she was asking that. Basically, the husband basically said, cleaning is a way of life, not an event. You just have to clean every time. 
You know, even if you're not doing anything there, dust will accumulate. There will be garbage that will be piled. And in our life as well, if you notice, the same thing will be true. If you're not careful, sin will come in and dust will accumulate. There has to be a continuous process of putting away and killing it and fighting it and getting rid of temptation and asking the Lord for help and saying, God, I can't do this, but by your grace, your grace is sufficient for me. Amen. Putting it off. You have to strike sin over and over and over and over and over again, just like a boxer, you know, punching the punching bag. And the Apostle Paul somehow described this feeling or this sense of frustration in the book of Romans chapter 7. And I just want to read it very quickly. Romans 7.15, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the Lord is good. So in other words, what this is saying is, I do not want to do what I'm doing. And what I want to do, I'm not doing. There's always a consistent struggle internally but he didn't end there and he said for what i do is not the good i want to do no the evil i want to do this i keep on doing now if i do what i do not do be do be do okay Puro do to, okay it is no longer i who do it but it is sin living in me that does it but praise be to god we have victory in christ jesus amen come on now it is sin working in us but the spirit is more powerful than the sin that is working in us now, how do we kill it ultimately? But, you know, we need to starve the sumo wrestler. You know, if you're to face this guy and you're this small kid, how many of you know there's no match there? You're going to die. You're going to be squashed. But the way to defeat this wrestler is to starve it. Don't feed it. Because many times, what we're doing with our sin, we, we, we consider them pet sin. You know, you have your favorite sin. And you feed it. You feed it little things until it becomes a big wrestler. The thing to, you, to do with, you know, against a, a wrestler is to be able to kill it by slowly starving it to death. Matthew chapter 5, verse 29 says, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Okay, maybe some of you need to do that tonight. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body to be thrown into hell. One of the major things that people struggle nowadays is internet pornography. Before, it was a bit cumbersome for you to get something if you want to engage in pornography because you've got to go out and you know, you've got to go to a store and buy a magazine or something. But now, everything is available there at the palm of your hands. And what do we do? We need to say no to that. Amen. Titus says, For the grace of God that appears to all men has taught us to say no to sin and ungodliness, and it teaches us to say to live godly lives in this present age. The grace of God is still what we need to say no to sin. Amen. It's not about your will. It's just so hard. You know, if we struggle with, you know, I want to be able to... Say no to this. If you're going to do it on your own strength, guess what? You're going to fail. 100%. But if we depend on the grace of God and the Spirit of God, that's the way to overcome that. Romans chapter 6, verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we 
would no longer be enslaved to sin. We used to be slaves of sin. Now we're no longer slaves of sin. The power of slavery over sin has been cut off because of what Jesus Christ did for us. One of the most important reminders we need to understand is when you, if you're running this race called Christianity, here's a reminder from Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us what? Throw off. Everybody say throw off. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, how many of you regularly run? Have you tried a marathon or maybe you're like a 10-kilometer thing? You know, if you're running, I think the objective is, of course, to finish the race. But how do we do that? You have to run as light as you can. You got to wear... Not the skimpy shorts, okay? You've got to wear the lightest short or the lightest shoe. I have not seen a marathoner wearing scuba gear with oxygen tank in the back. Okay, I just want to win. You know, he's flapping his you know, flippers. The fastest man alive right now on earth, you know this, Usain Bolt. Usain Bolt is, uh, he, I think he got his name from Lightning Bolt. And uh, he won triple-triple. Three medals from 2012, 2000, no, 2008, 2012, and 2016 in the Rio Olympics. In fact, can you imagine this guy was so fast that even as he was running this uh, race, he was still smiling. And look at the, you know, look at this guy. I mean, he's really giving his all, and he was just smiling because he was so fast. The objective is to be as light as possible so that you can win and finish the race. This is, of course, his signature move like that. Oh, yeah. Nine Olympic gold medals. And oh, I guess he retired already. Colossians chapter 3, verse 9 to 10 says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So the second word or group of words is put on. We've got to put on the new self which really is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of our creator. And what do we need to put on? The character of Christ. Basically what this verse is saying is very simple. You are being formed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the ultimate goal. If you look at yourself in the mirror, and if you have not been looking like Christ yet, there's still more work to be done. Amen. Look at the person beside you, okay? But tell that person, by faith, you are looking more like Christ every day. By faith, okay? So that's exactly what this means in, the, in simple terms. In verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. You and I are beloved by God, but not only beloved by God, we're holy. We're set apart. Holy does not mean that you have to, you know, wear a certain, you know, robe or you know, a certain hairstyle and not put on makeup. That's not holy. It's external. But holiness means we have been set apart by God for His purpose and for His glory. Put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, what should we do? 
forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Is there anyone that we need to forgive this morning or today? I mean, let's examine our hearts. You know, is there anyone that offended you and I've actually done something wrong to you and that you're having a hard time forgiving? And this might be too simplistic for us to say, Pastor, you don't understand what I've gone through. Yes, I may not be able to understand it and comprehend it fully, but we also could not comprehend what Jesus Christ has gone through at the cross. When He took our sins, though He was sinless, He became sin for us so that you and I could become the righteousness of God through Him. He chose to forgive even if He did not commit any sin because of His love for us. In the same way, as you have received forgiveness, forgive one another. Amen. And I think there's no better way to experience forgiveness than in a home. How many of you would agree with me on that? There's probably more frequency or opportunities for you to be tested on how you are good in this thing called forgiveness because you always live with the same people in your household every single day who can test your patience, particularly your spouse, right? That's why we need to forgive. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. First Peter chapter 5. I'm just going through some verses. Likewise, you are who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Pastor Rain last week quoted this, and I want to quote it again. I am not yet the person that God wants me to be, but I am no longer the same person that I used to be. Amen. Come on now. Give the Lord praise for that. There is an improvement. You're no longer who you are. You're already, but not yet. Already saved, but not yet perfect. Amen. Already justified, but not yet glorified. How many of you would like to be glorified already? It means that you die already. You have a glorified body and resurrected body. That will come in the future. Already. We're assured of salvation in heaven, but we're not yet there. We're assured of our walk and to, you know, to be conformed in the image of Christ, yet not yet. Yet not yet. We're not yet there. Lastly, how do we do this? We've got to put in the word in our hearts. Verse 16. Really, this putting off and putting on is virtually difficult or impossible apart from the word of God dwelling in our hearts. Amen. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The, the surest way to get rid of temptation is to hide the Word of God in our hearts. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I have stored up your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How much of God's Word is found in our hearts? You've got to be Word-saturated as a people. Everybody say Word-saturated. You know, to saturate means to become thoroughly soaked with water or with liquid so that no more can be absorbed. That's what saturation is. 
And if we saturate ourselves with the Word of God every single day, guess what? There's no influence in the world that can come in our life. Because we're so soaked, we're so full. It's kind of like, you know, if you've tried washing dishes and you've used a sponge and you use that dishwashing detergent, okay? So you put it there, it's so full that when you scrape the dishes, you can't add any more liquid in that sponge, that's how we should be when it comes to the Word of God. The Apostle Paul is saying, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly to dominate, to saturate, to motivate. That this particular body that we have should be a dwelling place for the Word. When you talk about dwelling, it means it's, that's where you stay, that's where you live. That's your abode. And they, let the Word of God consider this body as its dwelling place. Let the Word of God dwell in us richly, that it feels at home right here in our system. question for us this morning is, how much of God's Word do you put in your hearts? We've got to learn how to interact the text. It is not enough for you to hear the Word of God preached on Sunday. Amen. That's why our encouragement for all of us, every single time we, we talk about the Word is, by yourself a Bible. How many of you have a Bible? Okay, I hope that you do have a Bible already. And don't just buy the New Testament. Buy the whole Bible. Even the Old Testament is nice to read. Amen. Don't just get the book from upstairs, from the hotel. Okay, We know that. But buy the most expensive Bible because chances are if you invest in it, you will read it. Understand the text. Interact with it. Don't just hear it. Understand what it says. Ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, what does it mean for me? Sometimes we hear, but we don't understand. It's kind of like me when my wife would tell me something. I hear her, but I don't really understand her. That's a big difference, right? You hear someone say something, but you've got to decode what he or she is trying to say. That's understanding. There's emotional connection. And in this particular thing, there's got to be spiritual connection as well. Applying the Word of God. Don't just read the Word. Live it out. This is where we will find it useful for us to be able to contemplate the Scripture. We've got to learn how to contemplate. Everybody say contemplate. What does it mean to contemplate? Is it, you know, is it just the exercise of monks that they contemplate? They go to a cave, they contemplate the Scripture? No. To contemplate means to live it out. It comes from the word templum or temple, meaning that it is about living your life before the presence of God. That is what contemplation means. Because you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Wherever you are, that's where the presence of God is. And when you say contemplate the Word, it means that you're living out the Word of God every single day under the presence of God. That is what contemplation is all about. It is more than just thinking about it. It's more than just meditating in it. It's about living it out and really showing people how it is to become a Christian. We are to also have a worshipful attitude. You know, the Apostle Paul took the time to say, sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to the Lord. We are so used to coming here on Sunday. And we think that worship is the first part of the service. We think that worship 
are the three or the four songs that we sing before the actual preaching. But is that really what worship is all about? And what is our attitude when we come to church on Sunday? You know, there's one Danish um, Christian philosopher and theologian by the name of Soren Kierkegaard. And what he was trying to explain is that worship is kind of like going to a theater. How many of you are familiar with a theater? In a theater, you see a stage, you see an audience, you see a director, you see uh, uh, performers up on the stage. And many times, you kind of look at church like that. And we interpret worship to be like that, that, you know, we see, when we come to uh, our church here in Akasha or our, our place here in Akasha, we see the stage, this platform here. There's speakers and there's lights. And then we interpret that maybe the performers are the singers, like Pastor Saul and Lucci and the team here, or maybe the preacher of the word, or someone who will take up the offering. They are the performers here. And we interpret the director to be the ones in the back, you know, like Mike or the worship services coordinator or something. And who's the audience? The audience is you, diba? Sitting there on the chairs. But in reality, what Soren is explaining that we've got to reverse the role. The truth of the matter is when you talk about the theater of worship, the stage is not this platform. The stage is the moment you enter the hotel, that's the stage. That's where the presence of God is already. The moment you enter these doors, that is the stage. The question for us now is, who are the performers? It's not Pastor Saul, it's not Luchi, it's not me, it's not, it's all of us. We are all the performers here in the worship area of God. Amen. Who's the director in this thing? It's the Holy Spirit directing worship. But now you may ask, but who's the audience? We sing our worship and praise for the audience of one. And our audience is God Himself. Amen. Come on, give the Lord praise for that. And... Our prayer is that every time we come to church, that we are ready to sing and to perform, so to speak, before the audience who is our God. Amen. Amen. That when it, it somehow changes our attitude when we know exactly that the performer is not those people who prepared the songs, but it's me. The question for us every Sunday is, what am I bringing in this church so that I can bless the heart of my God. Really, that's the question for us every Sunday. And it's not about us bringing our notebook and criticizing, wala sa tono itong isang singer na to. Hindi lumipad yung joke ni Pastor. Ito, mainit masyado or masyadong malamig. Okay, yung isa dito sa kids church teacher, sinigawan yung anak ko. You know, if we have the attitude of having this notebook and criticizing everything, and guess what? We're not doing our job as performers. Amen. But if we will come here with an attitude of worship and say, God, thank you so much for who you are and for what Jesus has done in my life. Indeed, He is Creator God. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the head of this church, and so on and so on. Things will change. You will not even be late for worship. Amen. Look at the person beside you. Tell that person, be on time next Sunday. 
be here before 11 o'clock because worship starts before 11 o'clock. Come on now. Worship does not happen only when you sing songs. The whole service actually is worship. The moment you greet a person down there in the lobby, that's worship. Do you know that? The moment you extended your hand of compassion and kindness to another person, that is worship unto the Lord. And God is watching that. God is watching that. Not from a distance, but very near. And I'm going to end right here. God-honoring lifestyle. In the very last verse, the Apostle Paul said, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. In other words, what does this mean? When the Apostle Paul said, whatever you do, it means everything that we're doing ought to reflect who we are as Christians. Word or deed basically takes everything in life. When you talk about deeds, it's everything that you do. Whether it's eating later on for lunch, whether it's driving your car here, the way you drive is part of your deeds. Amen. The way you park is part of your deeds. The way we preach, the way we share our life, the way we you know, uh, you know, treat our wives, the way we raise up our children is part of your deeds. The way you play basketball is part of your deeds. Is it glorifying to the Lord? Diba? The way you play go, whatever it is that we're doing, whether it's cleaning the house, Whether it's watching a movie or watching Netflix, it should be glorifying to the Lord. Whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord. Our words, the things that passes through our mouths, unguarded jokes, it should be glorifying to the Lord. Here's my main point. Christ died for all our sins so that we may live our all for Him. Amen. Can we give the Lord praise this, this morning? Let's all stand up right now. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for what Jesus Christ has done for us. Thank you for his work on the cross. Thank you for who you are. The very essence in your nature of God as our Father and Jesus Christ as our Creator, God, the one who redeems us. We thank you, God, for... Uh, the work that you are doing in our lives, that we are not yet done, but yet we are assured of the salvation that we have. Thank you that you call us sons and daughters. What a privilege for us to be part of your family, Lord. Lord, my prayer is that we would reflect who you are, your character, that we may bring honor to your name, Lord, in whatever we do, whether in word or deed. May we always bring you back the honor that is through your name. We learned from this morning's sermon that there are two groups of sins that we need to put off. And there's the group of sexual sins and there's spoken sins. And, you know, there might be some issues in your life right now. The Holy Spirit is pointing. And I want, I want us to just be open to the, to the ministry of the Holy Spirit right now. And if you are that person with nobody looking around, and if you feel that you need to repent, 
of such, whether it's a sexual sin or whether it's a spoken sin or whether it's in the area of forgiveness. Let's just come before the Lord right now and humble ourselves. The Bible says, he who is humble will receive grace from the Lord. Amen? And if you are that person, can we just lift up our hand so that we can approach the Lord and say, Lord, here we are. And even as John said, if we claim to be no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But the Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So Lord, we ask that you would come today, Lord, to forgive us. Father, we open up our hearts to you. We confess our sin before you, God. For Lord, we have failed and we have broken your heart in some areas in our life, but we're asking for your grace. We're asking for your forgiveness. And Father, I thank you that there is provision for forgiveness and there is the blood of Jesus that cleanses all sins. And we come even right now and we thank you that through the blood of Christ, we are forgiven. We thank you, Lord God, as we humble ourselves, Lord God, you will give us even the ability to say no to these things, Lord God, to say no to temptation, just as the grace of God has appeared to all of us. Thank you for your forgiveness. Receive the forgiveness of God. If you are raising up your hand, thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. Put down your hand right now. One last prayer. If you are here this morning, and if you have not made Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, just very quickly, I want you to have the opportunity to receive Him as your Lord and Savior and be forgiven of all your sins. And if you want to do that, can you just kindly, just quickly raise up your hand so that I can pray for you. Anyone at all? Just lift it up right now. If you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and receive His gift of salvation and eternal life. Anyone at all? Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Can you just pray this prayer? Let's uh, join them in, in this prayer. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I acknowledge that I am a sinner needing a Savior. Thank you for uh, Jesus in going to the cross to forgive me for my sins. I also confess that Jesus is my Lord and believe that He is raised from the dead. Thank you, Lord, for your perfect work on that cross that saves me from my sins. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.